ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the We Are Podcast. This is your host, Jared Prever, and thank you as always for tuning in. This is the draft edition of the We Are Podcast as we celebrate three Penn State players that made it to the next level as they were drafted uh, over the last few days uh, for the, um, into the NFL. Uh, obviously, the first night, Chase, or, um, Micah Parsons was selected number 12 overall uh, by the Dallas Cowboys. You know, his best game as a Nittany Lion came in Cotton AT&T Stadium in the Cotton Bowl when he recorded 14 tackles. And now he'll be getting to put the star on for the rest of his, or for the first part of his NFL career. So that's exciting. Um, later in the first round, Jason Owe, who did in fact change his name over the, over the weekend, got selected in the number 31st pick, uh, number 31, with, by the Baltimore Ravens. So, you know, it's a very good first night for the Dallas or for, for the Penn State Nittany Lions, and I think that's huge and that speaks volumes. I mean, those two obviously had the most impressive pro days. And they both had underwhelming 2020s. Obviously, Micah Parsons opted out. So, you know, he he didn't play in 2020. So it's been a while since he's been on the field. With his last game coming, of course, at AT&T Stadium in that Cotton Bowl in, in 2019. So you've got that. Now you've got Jason Owe, who had an underwhelming 2020. He didn't record any sacks. But the two tested monstrously at, the, at Penn State's Pro Day with Oa running a four three six forty and Parsons being so close behind at four three nine, and when you do that and when you have that, that athleticism can go a long way even though you're not wearing pads. So that's huge as well. Former tight end Pat Fryermuth is staying in the state as he is selected by the Steelers in the second round of the NFL draft, and you can see that coverage extensively on DK Pittsburgh Sports. So Fryermuth had another was another one of the 2020 players that, you know, he he was hurt halfway through the season and had shoulder surgery. And now he's just getting back to full strength. When we talked to him at pro day, he had a lot of conversations with the Steelers. They seemed to have liked him, and it seemed to have turned out well for both parties as the Steelers get the tight end that they need um, and that they wanted, as well as. Fryan Muth gets to go to a team where he can play right, right away. Because as of today, he would slot in as the number two tight end um, behind Eric Ebron in the Steelers' tight end rotation. So that's huge. He's going to get a chance to play right away. You know, you look at a guy like Jay, um, I'm Michael Parsons, he's going to play right away in, uh, in Dallas because Sean Lee, former Penn State linebacker, retired this earlier this week. And you know, Leighton Van Der Esch is, is, you know, up and down injury-wise. And then, you know, Jalen Smith, who might not even be on the team, come camp. So, you know, all three get to play right away uh, with, with OA going to, to Baltimore. And I think that's, that's an excellent opportunity for these guys. And they were, they were probably the three best players on last year's team. You know, I think Parsons had things been a little bit more smoother with the playing, the not playing, the playing, the not playing. I think he would have played in 2020. Um, but, you know, you look at OA and, and you look at Frymuth, and those guys obviously made the best of the opportunity for playing in only four games for the Nittany Lions um, before his season-ending surgery. So I think that's a, it's a big day. for It's a big week for, for Penn State no matter what. Um, but those, those three get to go off and, and chase their dreams um, in a big way. And I think that's exactly um, that's what they went to Penn State for. They went 
as, you know, some were highly touted, some were not, and some lived to the height. You know, Owe is, is incredibly raw. He's only been playing in the sport for a couple of seasons, and, and now he's, he's going to be playing every Sunday. So I think that's, that's incredible. Now Parsons came in as this highly, highly talented um, linebacker or, or defensive player, and he leaves as the same thing. You know, he lived up to the hype. He played um, in some of, some of the best football of his career at Penn State. You know, we mentioned the Cotton Bowl again. Um, he, he gets to live out that dream of playing the blue and white. As a, as a, as a Cowboys fan growing up, um, nothing is going to be putting on that star for, for Parsons. And Frank Youth gets to stay stay in Pennsylvania, and I think that's that's excellent too. Um, he gets to join Marcus Allen, uh, who's a Pittsburgh Steeler as well. And I think that's just you know it, it's it's another case of James Franklin getting guys to the league, and and I think and he's had no issues with that throughout his time at Penn State, and and now these guys get to go out go out and do it, and I think that's going to be an excellent opportunity for these guys. You know, you talk about where they where they fall in the draft and. You know, obviously, first round is, is the goal, but, you know, Frymuth wasn't bad. He was f- selected 55th overall in the second round by the Steelers. Um, the Steelers really like him. He's the 28th player to be drafted by the by the Steelers um, in program history. The first since Marcus Allen was selected in the fifth round uh, in 2018. So, you know, he's he's also not the only tight, Penn State tight end in the league now. With Mike Kosicki, who plays now for the Dolphins, he was selected in the second round as well, um, number 42 overall. If you're keeping track at home, uh, in 2018. Now Kosicki and or er, took over for Kosicki, um, and you know he went on to to really represent the blue and white well during his tenure there. So I think that's an um, you know good for him. He's finally healthy. He's finally back to being cleared, so he'll be ready for rookie minicamp. He'll be ready for training camp coming off his uh, surgery for his torn labrum. Now you look at, you look at Jason Owen and he's, you know, he's, he's one of those guys that that's intriguing because like I said, he has not played very often. He's not played much, um, but it's, or much football. I should say he did play quite a bit for the Nittany Lions, but he's raw. He's athletic as, as all get out. And now, now he is going to be going as Odafeoe um, in the NFL. So when you, you know, when you when you see him lining up for the Baltimore Ravens, their last name stays the same, but the first name is different. Odafeoe, Jason is his middle name, and I think that's going to be an excellent opportunity for him as well. You know, he, he talked after getting drafted. Jason's my middle name. My first name is Odafeoe, and he's a, he's of Nigerian descent, so people were having trouble pronouncing it. And obviously, you know, Jason's a little bit easier to say. But now that he's in the NFL, we're he's going by Odafe. So that's obviously one of the developments over the course of the weekend. But now he gets to line up with the Baltimore Ravens. So the Steelers will <laughs> will be seeing the Cowboys uh, in the preseason in the Hall of Fame game. So for any youth in person to be able to swear off um, in that. And then obviously they'll play the Ravens twice. Um, they play them twice every year. So it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out and see how, how they're able to, you know, to use OA to their advantage. But also, you know, it, it, it's very, it's a very good spot for Friday. Like I said, I mean, we talk about Parsons. Parsons is going to, I think, slot in at the Mike linebacker for the Cowboys. 
But I think, you know, pending a, a strong mini camp and strong camp, there's a very good chance that Fryermuth is going to be in to end up being the starter um, for the Steelers by the end of the season. Um, obviously, his ball skills are impressive. He's a physical kid. He can block. He can line up in the slot. Um, he can do it all. And I think that's exactly what um, what's needed out of the tight end position in Pittsburgh as well. But, you know, we've got, it, we've got the rest of the show to talk about that. But until then, in segment two, we have Mike Rose of Lancaster Newspapers in LancasterOnline.com, who joins the show to talk Penn State football. And once we get done with that, we'll go over that, and, and you know we'll catch you on the flip side here in segment three. But for now, let's get to my conversation with Mike Gross, and we'll catch you guys right after the break. Quoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Welcome back to segment two of the We Are podcast. Uh, glad to be joined with Mike by Mike Gross of Lancaster Lancaster Newspapers and LancasterOnline.com. Mike, thanks for joining us today. My pleasure, man. Good to be with you. Now, Mike covers Penn State uh, for Lancaster Newspapers, and you know we're sitting in the press box Friday night, and we're talking about the spring. So I figured we'd bring him on the podcast. So, Mike, what were your what were your thoughts on how spring ball ended for for Penn State this season? Uh, I think they, as far as the sort of logistics of it, the way the the way it played out with these two quasi blue white games, I thought that was really interesting and weird. And I'd like to know the administrative sort of machinations that went into that. But that's not really what you what you want to know. You want to talk about football, and uh, I I think the thing with the football team that that I, I maybe knew more about at the end of spring than I did at the beginning, let's say, was the offensive line. I think the offensive line makes more sense to me and fits together to be now better now than I thought it would. Uh, I think the emergence of uh, Caden Wallace as a tackle, uh, I think gives them two pretty good tackles with, of course, Rashid Walker, who is one of the best players on their team. And I think will be one of the best tackles in the Big Ten. And and Miranda moving to center, and uh, I think uh, Juice Scruggs, uh, the greatly named Juice Scruggs, is going to be uh, a pretty effective guy, although we didn't see much of him in the spring. Uh, so that leaves him with just one guy, one hole to fill there in, in the five spots. And the thing about the offensive line that I always come back to is you have to have five of them. It's the rules of football. You have to have five. I mean, you can have uh, you can have all sort of configurations of tight ends and running backs and wide receivers. You have to have five of those guys. So I think that's the core of you throw into their Mike, your Mike, your new system. And they have a lot of guys that can throw and catch. I think you can see the offense potentially uh, coming together and being a little better than they were last year. Right. And I think the offensive line is really where it starts up front. And I think, Always, you know, yeah. 
uh, with Juice Scruggs, he's a guy that's battled injuries and, and getting him on the field, I think was just a win in general last season. But the, the big question mark it's been for the whole spring is the quarterback position. And do you think that we were, that we saw anything new or found out anything new with the way they played when we were able to see them? Uh, I thought that Clifford was a lot better on Friday than he was the previous Saturday uh, of the two that we got to see. Uh, I I thought he looked a little more self-assured, like he knew what he was doing. I, I, I taught, I, if you remember that first little sequence there at the very beginning that ended up, with the 64-yard touchdown by Dotson. I thought nobody else really wrote about this except me, so maybe I'm overreacting to it, but I, I thought that was kind of kind of the tempo thing. We saw a little bit of that there, the tempo thing that Yurcich was is supposedly going to bring to the table. They looked very quick and, and very uh, uh, aggressive and kind of had the defense on its heels, so uh, that's what you're looking for. Uh, I mean, Clifford's got to get better. They, you know, you look at the teams that make the college football playoff and look at the quarterbacks the last couple of years. I mean, they're, they're mega five-star guys who played, who, who worked out as college players. Uh, Clifford's got to get better. I, I think that's a real thing. Now, how do you feel about the backup situation? Because though, neither uh, Taquan Roberson or Christian View have gotten a lot of experience. Obviously, VU is still a freshman, uh, just got to campus in January. But Roberson's been around a little bit. But neither one of them have, have gotten extensive time um, in any aspect of it. Yeah, you're right. And I, I, I think this is, this is why this is the one argument in favor of having a real intra-squad scrimmage, where one of those guys would be the quarterback on one of the two teams and – and, you know, in a better situation, in a non-pandemic situation, there'd be 60, 70,000 people in the stands for that game. And you could get it, you could get them more of a taste of it because as you're, as I think you're alluding to, Jared, uh, the backup guys don't even get the reps in practice. They certainly don't get the reps with the first team. Uh, so, I mean, Franklin has said that he's going uh that he's looking at the transfer portal for another quarterback. Uh, you you want you certainly want more than three uh, scholarship quarterbacks. I've actually written. We have a kid in our area uh, from Manheim Township High School who really only got to play one year because uh, because they they had really good quarterbacks every year. He only really got to play one year, and it was a pandemic shortened year. He's a kid named Evan Clark who's going up there as a preferred walk on. He's a pretty talented kid, and he had an unbelievable year. And I. I mean, I'm, you know, it's obviously a reach for him to ever play as a, as a walk on quarterback, but, but by the standards of that, he's walking into a decent situation for him just because of that. But, you know, watch the transfer portal. That's always, that's the new normal in college football. And what are your thoughts on the portal? Because it, it is like collegiate free agency, but I think at times, while it might be good in some instances, it also kind of hurts and a lot of others. And I don't know that you have to kind of figure out that balance and the guys at Penn state was able to get this year so far, it seemed like they're playing out. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it was, I think free agency was, <laughs> was a net gain for, for the Nets uh, this off season. I think that that defensive uh, uh, end that they got from temple, uh, I, I think is a very quick edge rusher looking guy who, who, who could have some impact. Uh, they have so many D backs, but they got a couple uh, of those uh, kind of in, in over the transom, I guess you, you'd call it. So on, on, on balance, they made out. Okay. 
but this is always going to be there's going to be positives and negatives to this and and uh, uh, it, it's uh, and especially now that it, nobody's trying to pretend about it everybody is eligible for it at least once during their college career um, you know Franklin is I, I, I sort of I sort of roll my eyes a little bit about Franklin complaining about this but on the other hand I sort of get it I understand what he's saying and, and uh, the idea sports is is for is for teams to spend time together and and get chemistry and get that I, i'm thinking sort of almost more basketball than football but it certainly applies to football too right and i think that chemistry is what what fans and and media like saw last year because they had 30 freshmen on the team and that team wasn't really ever ever able to get together so when you have that that lack of chemistry can can really be a big factor yeah, and you know, how, how often have we heard, uh, I'm thinking of Sean Clifford in particular, just in the little bit of connection that we've gotten to the players in the last few months, they, 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 to me, they've kind of alluded that last year was really a mess. Last year was a bad deal. You hear Clifford saying stuff like, well, guys are really, really happy to come to work now, you know, that kind of thing. I, I, I think that last year was hey, it was bad for everybody in the sport. But I, I do think that Penn State, especially the way their season started with that Indiana game, and as you mentioned, so many good young guys that really were, were just searching. Yeah, I think it really hurt Penn State last year. Now, one of the strengths you, you alluded to it earlier was the, is the defensive backs. And, and one, I, I think, in particular was impressive to me uh, throughout the spring, and it's a guy that James Franklin talked about, was Kalen King. What did you see from him that, proves to you that this kid can play well here here's here's the thing no matter how good an athlete you are cornerback is a really unique set of athletic skills and franklin has talked about this a lot you have to be able to run backwards really fast and trace other people's movements and, and change direction really quickly running backwards and and even guys that are great athletes some of them just can't do it he can and the other piece of it is ball skills, which he obviously has that. They've, they've talked about that. They've raved about his ball skills um, the whole time. And you take a guy like Marquise Wilson, who was a corner who came in as a freshman and looked like he was going to have some impact. And now they've moved him to wide receiver. And that's the reflection of one. They kind of have a glut of talent at defensive back. And two, how important ball skills was because are because Marquise Wilson has those ball skills without question. And that was evident. I mean, I remember having, having a tremendous interception in the cotton bowl two, two years ago as a, as a true freshman. Uh, it's evident that he had those, those, those uh, ball skills, but maybe not that ability to do the specific physical thing that you have to do to be a great cover corner. And King looks like he has that. No, right, and his his pick in the, in the in the end zone of Sean Clifford, um, in the in the first rendition of, of spring practice that we were able to see, I thought was right. more impressive than his pick six, just the way that he went and he was heavily guarding um, the receiver he was on, and he just went up and got that ball with with relative ease. And it, as a corner, when you were able to do that, that's pretty impressive. And this dude just got to campus less than four months ago. That's the thing. Uh, and and uh, Franklin has talked so much about how advanced he is in terms of understanding what's going on, football IQ and, 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 and that kind of thing. Uh, and and you're, the interception that you're talking about, you know, you, you talk about those end zones, you try to throw it in the back of the end zone. 
where nobody could catch it. Ex- nobody can catch it except the receiver. Well, in that case, he had that dude so blanketed that <laughs> nobody could catch it except Kalen King, really. Uh, so, yeah, that was impressive. Right. And so let's circle. So we I just mentioned that in the first rendition of spring practice, do you think that the two – public practices is, is a feasible model for Penn State moving forward? Yeah, I do. Uh, and, and I think it was interesting that Franklin said, uh, we, we're, we were, we've been thinking for a long time about having a Friday night practice that would be open to the public. Uh, maybe we'll do that. Maybe we'll do that anyway. I said earlier, uh, the advantages of having a true blue and white game where you divide the squad in half and all, all that kind of stuff model. That has some advantages, but I think it has some disadvantages too. I can understand watching what we saw the last couple of weeks. I can understand why a football coach could like that from the would like that from the idea of a phrase that Franklin uses a lot, which is "good on good." Let's see how the first team does against the first team def- first team offense against first team defense. Let's see how let's let's slot this guy in with the ones and see how he does. I can see how that works for a football coach. So maybe you could do, uh, uh, you know, both of them, those things. Maybe you could have a Friday night open to the public practice and then have the blue white game. No. And I think that makes a lot of sense because you, you want to look at it and college athletics. Now they're in the hole. So you want to make as much money as you can. And even with a limited amount of people, you get quite a bit in concession revenue that you haven't gotten in, in over a year. So I think financially, it makes yeah. sense. Yeah, and and really, you know, a lot of people throughout this pandemic, people have complained about the Pennsylvania state government and 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 the Department of Health and how how onerous they've been and how how tough they've been in terms of their limitations. Well, within their limitations, that within Governor Wolf would have allowed them to put fifty thousand people in the stands on Friday night or on the previous Saturday. They could have done that. Penn State chose not to do that uh, because the limit is 50% for outdoor venues. And of course the beef uh, seats to 107,000. They could have put 50,000 people in that building uh, for, for that event. Uh, again, chose not to. So it might be a model going forward. <clears throat> Here's the other thing. College football teams don't get exhibition games. Well, what would be so crazy about playing a scrimmage against somebody? Uh, I don't know. I, I, I think it makes sense. No, absolutely. And I, and I like it because it gives us an opportunity, another opportunity to go out and see it. So we get yeah. to see it a couple more times than, than the regular person. But when you talk about when things maybe get back to normal, I could see this being something that's normal because you're going to, now you're making twice the money that you would make. Now you might not get 70,000 each time, but yeah. that's still a second chance at, at making money and that yeah. the, the almighty dollar rules the roost in college football. It, it rules the roost. And, and we've heard it a, a million times. They have to, uh, the fo- football has to football drives the bus because it has to fund the entire athletic program. And here's something related to that, that I think a lot of people don't realize Penn state has what 30, 31 intercollegiate teams, mm-hmm. something like that. Look at these. Look at some of these. That are, go on the athletic website of Clemson. They have like sixteen. They don't have anywhere near thirty. Alabama has sixteen, seventeen, eighteen. A lot of these schools in the SEC and in the Big Twelve don't have nearly thirty teams that they have to equip and they have to put in airplanes and they have to uh, 
pay for their training and their facilities and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it's, it's, uh, it's a big, it's a big, it's as big a deal for Penn state as it is for any school in the country. No, it's a really good point. And while other colleges are cutting teams, they're not cutting. They didn't cut from what I understand. They didn't cut a single team despite the lack of revenue that they made. Yeah. And, and I, I just, the reason I thought of Clemson is because the other, there was a story that just the other day that they were thinking about dropping, was it track? Maybe uh, they were thinking about dropping a sport and then they ultimately decided not to. Uh, but again, I think a lot of people don't realize, uh, you know, field hockey and fencing and all this stuff, you know, you know, Clemson doesn't have fencing. Yeah. You know, it, it's, it's a little bit of different model. Right. And, there, and no disrespect to Penn State fencing because they're a premier program, <laughs> but there are only a few a few sports that make revenue at Penn State. I, and I believe if I and I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I believe obviously football is one of them. Men's basketball is very minimal. And I think wrestling is either at that or just below it. And then there's obviously hockey, too. Uh, I, I don't think I think I think the only two our football and men's basketball. I believe right. that's true. And as I know this wrestling point. has been wrestling. is not profitable. Yeah. Right. And, and that's the travel. Like, obviously we travel to Penn state almost every weekend in the fall. It's not easy to get to state college, um, which, no, it's you know, not. yeah, that's another piece of it. Yeah. So travel in and out of state college is never going to be easy, which brings me to my next point. Recruiting. It, now we get to see coaches out on the road starting in June. How big do you think that's going to be? for Penn State's football staff? I think it'll be interesting to see how how James Franklin has rethought that because I think he has sort of acknowledged that he has to rethink it, uh, not just because of the hit they took during the pandemic, but understanding that this is a remote location. Uh, more and more of this kind of stuff is done virtually, and that's probably to Penn State's disadvantage because – their ace card is getting people there and getting them to go to a whiteout or getting them to go to a, even go to an ice hockey game or, or that kind of thing. Getting them on. Uh, and it's, as he has said a number of times, it's not the kind of place you can get, to, you're going to go to on the way to some, to someplace else. <laughs> like you're going to sweep three or four schools. It's kind of, you kind of have to go out of way no matter what to get to Penn state. Uh, that that's a weird piece of it. So it'll be interesting for me to see how he, they put a lot of emphasis on these camps that they hold, which is more of a player evaluation tool, I think in recruiting uh, that's sort of the early stage of the process. They're going to get right back to that next, uh, well, not next month, but in June, uh, we're almost in May. Uh, I, I'm just, I think that's something to really watch over the summer is how he changes his thinking a little bit. Remember all the goofy stuff that Harbaugh did a couple of years ago in, in the summer? I don't think we're going to see anything like that from, from Franklin, but I think we're going to see some new stuff, some ways to get it out there. No, and I think that's fair. And, and honestly, to me, some of the virtual stuff isn't necessarily a bad thing. Obviously, it, it puts you in oh. their pocket really quick. But obviously, physically getting to Penn State <laughs> is much different than seeing Penn State in pictures or, or whatever. Um, yeah, yeah, I think it's, it's – there's nothing wrong with it except it, it may be something – it's at least not an advantage to Penn State. Whereas, whereas on-site, on-campus 
and and getting and in getting them in front of the coaches and in front of Franklin and and in front of the presentation that he puts together, I think is that's where Penn State maybe has its edge. No, absolutely. And before I let you go, what are your expectations or what are you looking forward to seeing Penn State do on the field in the fall? Um, well, I mean, last year they were four and five. They're not going to be four and five again. They're not going to be a sub 500 team. Um, uh, but I, I look at this, I look at this year's roster as opposed to last year's roster. I don't see a huge difference. Uh, and, and this beginning, this opening couple of weeks of the schedule are as, are as foreboding, I think at least as last year's was that trip to Wisconsin is, is really big against a team that is kind of struggled last year too. And has high expectations, Wisconsin, of course. Um, and, and then you come back, if you don't win that one, then you come back week three and it's Auburn and there's pressure to win on week three, which usually does not happen at Penn state because September is usually kind of almost the exhibition season uh, that it sure is not the case uh, this year. So, you know, I mean, I, 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 uh, a national contender, I don't know. I don't see that. I don't see that. And, and what, what, uh, the, the key to that may be happening, I think lies in Sean Clifford and Mike Yersich. No. And, and I completely agree. I think we need to see Clifford go back to what he was in 2019 because he was competent. They won 11 games and they went to the cotton bowl and won yeah. that too. And obviously that's two coordinators ago. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> yeah. a little consistency. This is his fourth coordinator in five years. And that, that to me is crazy. Um, but yeah, if, if he and your can hit it off right off the bat, I think that bodes well for the Nittany lines moving forward, but anything is possible. Um, well, yeah, sure. Anything's possible, but I, I really think uh, it's sort of, I'm sort of disappointed to say the sort of, it's about the quarterback because that's sort of an obvious fan thing to say, you know, but in this case, it's kind of the truth. I, I think the Yersich Clifford dynamic is really a key to what, what's going to happen. No, and that's absolutely, and it, it's kind of like a dead horse because listen, defensively, <laughs> they're pretty good. I think they've got depth at one through 11 on, on the defensive side of the football. The receivers were great last year. They were the lone yeah. bright spot in a dismal 0-5 start. The offensive line has gotten better. They're getting instruction. The running backs are young, and, and you, they get Noah Kane back. So the, the, lone, the lone question mark to me is the play of the quarterback. What are they going to get from Sean Clifford? Because he's shown flashes of, of being good, and he's shown flashes of – he got benched against Nebraska. So there's – you know, yeah, which, he was which really Clifford struggling at one point. Yeah, he was really struggling at one point last year. They may use him less as a runner this year just to save him a little bit physically. Maybe. I I, I don't know. I, I don't know how. I, I think Yersich may think about that a little differently than uh, than the previous guys did. But but we'll see. It, it, you know, it's, it's hard. It's not a pressure on him. But, again, I'm going to go back to look at the teams that are making the playoffs and look at the play that they're getting from that position. You got to have it. Right. And you, I mean, you look at the, the NFL draft is, is thir was Thursday and you look at Justin Fields, you look at Trevor Lawrence, you look at Mac Jones, and those are three of the top quarterbacks in the draft that are in the draft or were in the draft by this point. But and the, all three of those teams were, were top five teams, top three teams for a good chunk of the year last year. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's it, there's no way around it. And, and, and I also think this is a recruiting uh, priority for Penn State going forward. Uh, remember, they had a verbal commitment from Justin Fields. It was very early in the process. But uh, think about I, I, I remember thinking I remember seeing that kid on film and thinking this could be Frank. This could be for Franklin as Deshaun Watson was for Dabo Sweeney. And I really think that could have happened for Penn State. But but you knew it was you knew it was not far from automatic. They were going to get him. I, I mean, he committed like it when he was a sophomore in high school. But uh, yeah, that that's another thing that has to happen for them to get to that top shelf. There is a top shelf in college football. There absolutely is. And there aren't a ton of teams on it. And that's where Franklin wants to be. And upgrading that position is how you get them. Right. And, and you look at the way that Penn State is recruited. And they're, but the best quarterbacks of late were, were low star guys. Now, granted, once they get to campus, to me, the stars don't really matter. But you look at guys like Matt McLoyne. And you look at guys like, obviously, Christian Hackenberg was, was highly touted. But then you look at a guy like Trace McSorley, who was recruited primarily as a safety everywhere other than Vanderbilt and Penn State, where Franklin found him. Yeah, right. Like, so you, to me, they do have to take that next step. And, and how does Franklin do that? Because to me, since obviously, you know, since Franklin has got here, you know, it's, it's other than McSorley, it's been, it's been a struggle for the quarterbacks at times. Well, maybe, maybe Mike Yersich is, is part of the key to changing that if he's going to be here for a long time, which, you know, if, if, if he, if he, I don't want to say fixes this, this, that's not the right, right. word, but if he upgrades it, uh, he's, he's, he's a, he's a head coach in waiting. And so he might not be here long. We might be talking about another new offensive coordinator, uh, not too far down the road. Right. And some of the guys that he's worked with have been impressive. Even before Penn state, you look at Mason Rudolph, who's in the NFL, you look at Justin Fields, you look at Ellinger, uh, with Texas. So the pedigree is there. Now, if he can fix and put Sean Clifford, I'm not saying that Sean Clifford is as good as some of those guys, but if he can improve Sean Clifford to put them up there, you're right. Your uh, is going to be one and done or, or two and out. And, <laughs> and that's not necessarily good for Penn state either, but thank you again to Mike Gross of Lancaster newspapers and LancasterOnline.com for joining the, we are podcast. And I will catch you guys here after the break for segment three, and we'll send you home for the weekend. The draft is an exciting time for everybody because you know you never know what's going to happen. You you never expect you know your name's going to be called or it might not be called. You just don't know, and I think that's the beauty in the draft. You don't know where you're going to fall. You don't know when you're going to get that call or whether that call is going to be real. Um, and I think that was one of the fun things to to hear about Friar Youth and and Owen and and even Michael Parsons is like well they thought they were getting scammed or something like that. You know, and that's. That just adds to the intrigue of the draft, that it adds to the mystique of the draft, because when you get that call from that unknown area code, it's just one of those situations where it's like, wow, this is it. This is this is my opportunity. Now my life's going to change. You know, you hear Micah Parsons is going to make uh, probably $17 million over the course of his contract with maybe $9.8 million, I think, of that loaded up into a signing bonus. 
that's life-changing money for a kid from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. That's life-changing money for any of us, um, to be perfectly honest with you. And I think that's what makes it so cool. Your life changes just like that with one phone call. And, and really, you know, you look at, you look at those guys and, and all those sacrifices, those early morning wake-ups to, to go work out, to lift, to get your practice in, to get your work in, that extra work, those extra reps after practice, catching balls from the quarterback, going and, and working off the bags, off the dummies, and, and getting an extra lift in and, and playing, starting the game, you know, that's, and now your life has changed for the good. You get to go out and make a difference on the field for your new team in the NFL as a, as a professional football player. That's the goal. Any, anytime you put on pads, your goal is to get to the NFL. It's the highest level. You, you know, I felt that when I put on the pads for the first time, my goal is to get to the NFL. Obviously I'm five, seven, 195 pounds now. That's not going to happen. Back then, I was 5'5", 135 pounds when I suited up in high school. It's just one of those deals. Now, you know, we, obviously I didn't get there, but these guys did. These guys had that opportunity to go out and make a difference and, and, and show each of their teams why they deserve to be picked where they were. You know, you have three guys that were drafted in the first two rounds, and that's, that's incredible for Penn State. Now they're up to 39 players drafted in the first round. That's you know, that's not quite Alabama level where they had um, most of their team drafted in the first round or second round, it seemed. Um, but, you know, that's still impressive nonetheless. But it's an excellent opportunity for these kids to go out and get better and to, to show them, show why all the sacrifices that they made to get to where they are paid off in the end. Now, who's going to be next for Penn State? Is Sean Clifford going to take that step? Is Jahan Dodson going to leave school and come out and show why he made – uh, Sean Wade looked silly in their game. Sean Wade was drafted um, Saturday afternoon, so it, by the Ravens actually, and you know he made him he looked look like a goof for 144 yards and a couple touchdowns um, against Ohio State this season. So who's going to be that next guy? Who's going to be that guy that hears his name called like Michael Mike, Parsons, like Jason Owen? So like like Pat Fryermuth, you know who's going to get who's going to get that next opportunity? Who's going to show them uh, why they belong? Is it going to be Noah Kane? Is it going to be, you know, Kevon Lee when he comes out? Is it going to be Jahan Dotson, Parker Washington? Is it going to be Jesse Lucetta? Is it going to be Jaquan Brisker? Who's it going to be? You know, now, you know, you see it. It, it. You don't really know it what it's like until it's close to you. You don't really know what it's gonna, what's going to happen. You know, I've sat in on some draft parties myself, the nerves – the, you know, the constant, oh, what's going on? What's, what's going to happen? So you just kind of, it, it's a waiting game. And now you, you see it. You see that these guys, the same guys that you work out with and the practice with and go against every day, they, you see that opportunity that they get. Now it's time for you to go and get it. So I think it's going to be really cool to see, you know, what this does to Penn State moving forward, um, how those guys that are currently on that roster go out and, and try to attack each practice, each rep, each game, to get to where these guys have gotten. And I think that's going to be really cool too. You know, could it be Sean Clifford? Could it be, you know, anybody? And it, it's anything is possible and, and with the draft and, and with the game of life. So I think that's going to be really cool to see. Um, you know, maybe it is Jaquan Brisker. Maybe it is one of those guys. And then obviously there's there are ultimately other opportunities as well as underactive free agents. And things like that. So it's going to be really cool to see that and see how that plays out for some of the other guys that didn't get their names called. But at the same time, you know, now now it's put up or shut up time. 
Now you got to go out and prove why you're worth all that money, why you were worth that that high draft pick. And I think those three guys are, are going to get an opportunity to do that early and often for their teams. You know, like I said, Frymuth I think will be the starter in Pittsburgh by the end of the year. Um, just his athleticism and his ball skills, plus his ability to block and be an all-around tight end, it's huge. Uh, Parsons is going to start because the the Cowboys linebacking situation is is dire um, with the lack of injury or with the lack of depth. Um, and he's just, I think he's an early favorite for defensive rookie of the year um, because of those opportunities. And then you see Owe getting his chance with the Ravens too and getting to play against the Steelers and Friar Muth twice a year uh, with fellow Penn Stater or former Penn Stater uh, Trace McSorley as the backup coordinator or backup quarterback, I should say, um, in Baltimore. So getting, you know, sitting, seeing those guys, um, now it's, it's back to the summer. Now this is over. Uh, those guys will go to a rookie camp. And now Penn State will get back to their summer work or will get into their summer workouts once their semesters are over. They get some time at home. They get their off-season work for those that are leaving campus and going home and, and not staying around um, State College or University Park for the summer. But now it's now it's go time. Now it's time to get into those workouts and, and get into the rest of the off-season so that you can focus and get geared up for 2021 because it's going to be a, a difficult start. you got to go to – Go to, to Wisconsin, then you're at home, then you're on, then you've got Auburn coming to town too. So it's going to be interesting to see how Penn State handles that. And you know now you're you're still continuing to install, but there's a lot to be determined between now and then. And until then, this will be your source for all things Penn State football. And we will have all the information that we need here on the We Are Podcast on DK Sports Radio. This has been your host, Jared Pruar, and thank you as always for listening. Have a safe and healthy week. We'll talk to you next Saturday or next Sunday. I will see you soon.